In this part, Kevin and I briefly discuss several of his pieces and how an early speech impediment, which was a problem for him as a youngster, may have contributed to his being such a good composer. And he has a really interesting answer to the question of what is the most difficult thing for him as a composer. The stuff that I've heard, I mean, you're obviously a really great orchestrator, and is that something that just comes naturally to you? Uh, orchestration was something I worked on a lot with um, uh, with my undergraduate teacher. That was that was a big thing. We we looked at a lot of scores, and essentially the way my mind was working then, when I was uh, you know when I was a freshman or sophomore, was I heard the ideas, but I couldn't hear them yet as whole ideas. I only heard rhythms, or I heard um, ostinatos, or I heard you know, small things. And so looking at scores helped me just to see how different composers, you know, took these rhythmic ideas and put them in with what instruments or all that. So we looked at orchestral scores. We looked at wind band scores. The the one I remember the, learning the most from was actually John Carigliano's, um Symphony Number no. One. My my teacher had it on his stand, and so we listened to the entire piece. And I was watching the score, and I was just blown away by that piece. And that, you know, that was one of the first pieces that that sort of opened my mind to kind of what possibilities there were because I had never heard a piece like that ever in my life. And so since then, I got into Corigliano's music, and have never met him, but uh, would would love to meet him one day. <laughs> I met I met him just just briefly um, years and years and years ago when I was living in Los Angeles. I played on the film score to oh what, he wrote the film score for the movie and I forget the it was a really interest really fascinating um, it was a great book and maybe not such a great movie although the music was great. Patty Chayefsky wrote the book and it was about somebody who was teaching at Harvard that took a certain kind of drug and went into an, I think they call them an isolation tank and had this metamorphosis and stuff. God, I wish I could remember the name of the movie now. But mm. anyway, he scored the film. Christopher Keene conducted it, but he was there for the for the sessions. And then years later, I was um, backstage at the Chicago Symphony, and he was the composer in residence then. And, and I was introduced to him just briefly, mm. and I mentioned that I played the film score, and he said, oh, yeah, the thing I remember about that was the first horn player, who was Vince DeRosa. He said he was fantastic. He never missed. Hmm. And that's what he was talking about, was the horn player. But seemed very, very nice. And he's, he yeah. must be a great teacher because he has a lot of students. Yeah, my, my uh, right after working on that piece with my teacher and, I mean, listening to that music, I went and saw uh, The Red Violin, which is uh, another well-known oh, right. movie uh -huh. score of his. And so, yeah, I... I'm like, oh man, his his music is always really interesting to me. But I would have never known about John Carigliano if it hadn't been for, you know, my lessons um, with my teachers. So I'm really grateful for that. You should get in touch with him. Send him an email. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah. If, <laughs> Why not? If he's Why busy. Not? Okay. Or, so or if he's not busy. <laughs> no, 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 no. Let's. Okay. Okay. So here's a story that involves our producer hmm. Eddie Ludema. Okay. So Eddie studied trumpet with me in Freiburg and Eddie's giving me the dirty eye now and we were working on a, a piece by Dana Wilson I don't know if you know that name or not yeah Dana Wilson, wonderful yeah. composer he I think he teaches at Ithaca mm -hmm. Cornell I think it's Ithaca College and he wrote this wonderful piece for trumpet and piano called masks and Eddie had some questions about it and I said you know I I, I, I could sort of maybe answer them but why not write to you know Dana Wilson and ask him. Hmm. And Eddie said, oh, no, I can't do that. Just like you, right? And I said, the worst thing that can happen is he doesn't answer. 
Hmm. You know, that's the worst with an email. That's the, you call somebody up, they can be nasty to you on the phone. And <laughs> upset. But the worst thing with an email is mm-hmm. they just don't answer. So Eddie wrote to him and he got this fantastic response where, mm. where Eddie had mentioned a couple of ideas he had about the piece. And he said, wow, I hadn't even thought about that. That's really interesting. So you should, you should write to him. Sure, you know, sure thing. And just say you really admire his work and how much you, you learn from him. And, uh, and maybe send him. You know, send him uh, a copy of your uh, your concerto for wind ensemble or, or something that you'd like to send to him. Sure, so, sure thing. Anyway, uh, if you want to. Um, <laughs> but speaking of opera, so you're going to write an opera for for your doctoral uh, dissertation? Potentially, yes, yes. Yes. Okay. So have you? I have not heard it, um, and I hope it's going to be on Met HD. But have you heard the Terence Blanchard uh, opera? I, no, but I so want to. I so want to hear this. <laughs> So I may have to. Yes, yeah, supposed a, to be great. Yes, yeah. I've heard wonderful things about it. I have a lot. I have a lot of friends who went to go see it. So I uh, can't wait to to hopefully get to hear it soon. His film scores are great, and yeah. just the interviews that I've read with him about it, he sounds like a great person. I mean, really humble and, mm-hmm. and you know, obviously extremely creative. So, well, tell me about your schedule now. So you, you're getting your doctorate, and you're still composing. What piece are you working on right now, or pieces, I should say? <laughs> Yeah, I'm I'm working on a lot of uh, chamber pieces at the moment, and then uh, a few large pieces too. So the main chamber pieces, I actually I just um, I just got through writing a violin sonata, which is actually going to be premiered next month um, by Liam Gibb at the Cincinnati Conservatory, and uh, so I I'm super excited for that because uh, I've never written a violin sonata before, so that one was really fun to get to work on, and. Yeah. Uh, the other chamber piece I'm really excited about, I'm writing a piece for James Marquis, who's the principal bass trombone for the Boston Symphony. And uh, he... Oh, yeah, he's great. Yeah, I can't wait to to, to, to get this piece uh, together for him. Is that a concerto for bass trombone or a, a sonata? No, it's just going to be just a, just a one-movement work for, uh, 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 for, for bass trombone and piano. Okay. And you also had, you had a, a quartet recorded by the Boston Symphony... Uh, trombone section, which is a wonderful piece and really beautifully uh, <laughs> played Thank as you. well. Was that written for them or? Um... Yeah, that was written. Uh, so yeah, that was written for them, and that that piece was originally a tuba euphonium sextet piece. So I composed that piece back in 2018, and that was commissioned by James Jackson up at the Hart School um, in Hartford, Connecticut. Uh, and so that was written for his group. And then the piece had been out for some time. And then uh, when I got the call about, you know, writing something for them, I was like, well, I don't have anything for this instrumentation, but I have something I can rearrange for this instrumentation. And so that's how Ignition, the the quartet version of Ignition um, came to be and uh, was super thrilled that I got to you know, work with, uh, with them on that. And, uh, uh, they did a really phenomenal job. Yeah, they sure did. They sure did. So tell me about the horn concerto then. Yeah. Working on a horn concerto, uh, horn and wind ensemble, uh, for Stephen Cohen and Skip Sneed. And I'm really excited to complete that. I have a movement that has been through for a while and I'm just trying to get movements two and three done. (laughs) So super excited about that. That's going to be premiered next year. And then there are three other concertos coming 
for the next few years, and I can't wait to share more about those once uh, once I can. Um, but really, okay. really excited <laughs> to get those out there too. So um, I'm going to be busy the next few years, which I'm very grateful for. I mean, I have I'm 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 going to get to work with some really great players, and uh, can't wait to you know write whatever this music is going to turn out to be. So when you're working on all that stuff, so this week, as an example, this week you're in Dallas, Texas to work with the, the Wind Ensemble and Jerry Junkin on your concerto. Mm-hmm. Are you going to do any writing during this time when you're there? As I need to, to, yes. I need to try to get something accomplished here. And uh, luckily I have some free time to do that today and tomorrow and the weekend. So, yes, I'm going to try to do some composing while I'm here. And uh, especially once I get back, I'll have a lot more time to compose and to get these pieces written. So, yeah. And now will it be, it will not be the schedule where you have school from eight to eight and then you compose from eight to two in the morning. Mm -hmm. You'll be able to keep a fairly normal schedule. So what would your composing schedule be like now? I'll have a lot more time to do it during the day as opposed to doing it at night. Um, Because the way my schedule is, I mean, I have like maybe one or two classes per day. um, And that's it, which has been very helpful as far as uh, flexibility goes. And um, yeah, so I just feel like I have a lot more time to to work and also to rest. (laughs) Once again, want to want to try to rest more and um Miami there's a lot to see and do there there's a lot of things to explore and so I also want to make sure I take time to to go explore this new place I've never lived in Florida <laughs> at all I've never lived in Miami before so um I am coming into this experience with an open mind and an open heart and just can't wait to see what happens here in terms of re- relaxation and stuff you said earlier reading was something that you wanted to do or was important to you do you have favorite authors, certain books that have been influences for your writing or just for your life? Yeah, I've been reading. Um, right now, I'm reading a book by John Lewis um, called Carry On, and I've been enjoying getting to hear his uh, his thoughts on the world and everything. And so I got that. And then um, there is a book that I got uh, from my conducting teacher at UGA and she gave it to me and it's called um, uh, Make Your Art No Matter What. (laughs) And so I've been enjoying going through that book as well, talking about how to be an artist and how to, you know, how to structure your life and how to, you know, just navigate this whole thing. And that's been very helpful to me as well. Um, I also sort of outside of that, I try to make time to do meditation, to do things more so with mindfulness. Um, anxiety is like something I have to <laughs> deal with constantly. And, uh, so that helps me a lot, being able to meditate and being able to slow down my mind and breathe. And all of that really helps me just to get through on a daily basis. Just, just, just taking time each day to just say, okay. It's going to be okay. Breathe, take a few breaths, all that, and then, you know, continue with with the work I'm doing. Yeah, yeah. Anxiety is just in terms of, like, you're you're having your music played by these great people, and I I hope it's good enough it makes me nervous, that sort of thing. (laughs) That's a good anxiety to have, I would think. Well, yeah, I've always had anxiety, though. I've had anxiety since I was, uh, you know, a kid. It was always, like, something I had because I used to – I feel like a lot of that was more so with um, social anxiety because when I grew up, I had a 
a speech impediment where like I couldn't really talk or like really make cohesive sentences. And I, I said really a lot of struggles with that. So because of that, I had a lot of anxiety about talking to people. <laughs> and so um, I'm glad I've gotten over that now, but I think that anxiety has morphed into other things as I've gotten, um, as I've gotten older now. And so, um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's everything, <laughs> the professional, the school, the personal, but uh, meditation, taking time away, even going on drives or even sometimes traveling really helps me just to be able to manage that. And just to know, like, you know, everything's okay. I'm going to be okay. I, I am enough. I can do this. Like sort of trying, trying to make affirmations, um, f- um, for myself whenever I feel like I, 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 I can't do something. I can just say, okay, no, we're going to be okay. I can do this. I can get through this. And so, so that's been very helpful to me. You know, it's, it's interesting t- hearing you talk about that, especially the speech problem that you had early on. I don't know if you know this book by Malcolm Gladwell um, called David and Goliath. It's a series of, of sort of articles. And his ideas, his idea is that certain things that we think are handicaps can actually be advantages. And he, and he uses the story of David and Goliath. He said, actually, um, David, a slingshot in those days, was a really powerful instrument, and, and the advantage was actually to David, not to Goliath. And he makes a long story talking about re- why he thought so. And I'm just wondering, in your case, the fact that you had trouble expressing yourself with words, if somehow that actually made your music better and more prominent in your life, that... that that you say you compose so much in your I mind see, without yeah. a piano, um, that that somehow that's in there. You don't you don't need a piano to express it, just like you would need to express words with speech. Maybe I'm going way off the deep end here, but I'm wondering if that makes sense or not. Yeah, that makes total sense. Music was when I when when I felt like I just you know couldn't talk or I I couldn't articulate what I wanted to say. At that time, music was sort of, well, not sort of, it was my outlet to be able to do that. It was my refuge and and where I just put everything into. Because through that, I feel like I could express whatever I wanted to. And there wasn't that like handicap there that I had to deal with. I could just play piano. I could I could create whatever um, in my imagination. And that was always like something I had as a kid was just, um, my imagination can be very vivid. And so I think that in turn has helped me as a composer because even though I don't have that speech handicap anymore, I mean, I've worked on it and I've, I'm, I've been working on it for years, you know, since then, this imagination has only gotten crazier, I think, since, <laughs> since those times. And I think that's in turn how my music has, um, has been changing too. So yeah, it's uh, whenever I couldn't express myself through words, I I ultimately um, I I found through my childhood that I could through music, and that's what I gravitated towards. Wow, that's interesting. That's really interesting. So I've always thought like a great great composer had two qualities that they had a combination of the intellectual and the emotional, and so it sounds like at the beginning. Years where you started out with the emotional because that's the way you were able to express yourself, and then by going to school now you're getting the intellectual and you're you're combining that with the emotional. Mm. Does that does that seem to make sense for what you? Th- yeah, you yeah, think that you makes are? sense. Yeah. So well, anyway, well, when you're working on a piece, you finish the piece. Do you do any revisions, or do you sort of revise while you're writing, or how does that work? I try my best. It, it, once it's done, I try not to 
make any re uh, revisions on it if I can. Uh, the difference is like with the concerto for wind ensemble, since it's not going to be put out there, you know, like people won't be able to get the music for another year. I do have time to, you know, make um, uh, revisions on this piece because a lot of groups are going to play it and, and they'll send me their feedback and then I'll make a, um, a new printed version with all these changes. Um, so that's kind of an exception to what I do. But generally, if I write a piece, I try not to uh to touch it after that to like okay it's done it's out there oh and like take a breath and, and then just <laughs> go on to the next one because i will find myself continuously if i just go down that road of okay maybe i should revise this maybe i should revise that i'll revise the whole piece if <laughs> i keep kind of going down that road so i try once it's out there and people can get the music i just try to let it go and just um be at peace with uh, with that product. Speaking of anxiety, for me, I have anxiety the first rehearsal. Uh, do you feel the same mm. way? Like, boy, I hope this yeah. doesn't stink. Yeah, I do too. I do too. <laughs> it's like, oh man, I hope they, I, I hope it goes well. I hope there's no problems. Like, yeah. And so you don't, I mean, when you, when you compose a piece, when you start to work on composing a piece, um, you don't do sketches or anything like that, right? You pretty much just sort of write it. I do sketches uh, sometimes and I have like um, sketchbooks at home that I've collected over the years where I've written ideas in. And sometimes I'll go back to those ideas and see maybe if there's like something I can pull from. Um, but I try to do a little bit now here and there. I think it's harder, you know, as I'm on the road a lot more, it's harder to kind of do that. Cause like I left my sketchbook in Miami and I can't <laughs> get to it until I get back or whatever. But um, yeah, I'll, I'll try to do that. And it, it helps me a lot more than like like if I try to sing into my phone or something. Um, that's a lot harder for me because often I'll go through my day. Like if I try to sing something into my phone, I go through my day and then I come back to the idea at nighttime. I'll be like, what was the context for this? <laughs> what what was I thinking? And then it will make no sense to me and then I'll have to throw it away because I don't remember what that was meant for. So... So yeah, I, I try to sketch things out when I can, um, you know, just so that I don't forget it. So, so for example, you say right now, these days, pretty much every weekend, or at least a lot of weekends, you're flying someplace for performances. Do you compose on the plane then? Do you have your computer with you and you have it in your head? And you Sometimes I can. It's, it's harder. If you're not in first class, it's hard to do that because uh, I'm a you know slightly larger guy so um i don't have the room sometimes but like um uh whenever i can upgrade to first class i can so that way i can have room to do it um to be able to compose but yeah there have been times i've composed on planes the, I, it's funny just thinking about being on planes the writer john irving i don't know if you know that name or not he's a, an american novelist he said he had this one time when he was writing on the plane writing you know working on a novel on the plane and the guy sitting next to him was reading one of his novels that's pretty great. So, whoa, yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's incredible. <laughs> yeah. So, what? This is sort of a, a tough question, I guess. But what is the hardest part of writing for you? The hardest part of writing, I think, for me, when it comes to writing multi movement works, which has sort of been what a lot of these pieces, what a lot of these larger um, pieces have been the last few years, I think is figuring out what narrative, if any, 
that I want to tell. I think that's one of the hardest parts is not so much the notes or rhythms or how the structure of like the music is, but more so the structure of the narrative of what I'm trying to tell. I feel like that's one of the harder parts for me to figure out. And, you know, with the euphonium concerto, there was a narrative, this like man versus machine kind of narrative that I was trying to do with that piece with pyrotechnic, uh, with pyrotechnics, it's it it dealt with light and and either diminishing that light or letting it grow and letting it become like a furnace. Uh, um, and so, like each piece, I feel like has its own narrative in some way, and I I think that's that's often the hardest thing for me to figure out. That and titles, I I feel like titles is just <laughs> titles are really tough. Has, like, this thing oh titles. yeah, I hate titles. Titles are so tough for me, and um, but yeah, those are the, the those are the two things I would say. It's like narrative and then title. Mm-hmm. And in terms of narrative. Is it important for you that the audience understand the narrative or just for you so that you have a concept that you can where you can write the piece? Hmm. Um, I think that's developing because I've written I've written one piece that was like that where I get the the narrative and the players in this group got the, the narrative, but the audience could could take away different interpretations of what I'm trying to say, which could you know, happen too. And then there have been cases where like, I think the narrative came across pretty clear too. So honestly, I'm, I'm, I'm open to that in a weird kind of way. I'm just like, yeah, if they get it great, if they don't, then, uh, but I get it. I mean, that's also fine too. So I think that that's going to be something maybe in the coming years that I sort of mess with is like how the narrative, um, is or like how my process is affected by narrative which in turn affects how the audience perceives what i'm trying to say yeah that's interesting that that that's actually more difficult for you than actually the writing of the piece itself it's like once you have a narrative then you're off and running yeah yeah generally yeah that like once i get over that then it's like okay the piece will once i know what story i want to tell then the piece will write itself in a sense In the bonus room, Kevin talks about how social media has really helped his career as a composer and how he uses it in many of its different forms. At the end of our conversation, Kevin also talks movingly about how he wants to give back to society as a teacher. 